How's everybody feeling? Yes. Everybody's okay? Yes, sir. All right. Well, for those of you who do not know me, my name is Corey. Uh, I'm the lead pastor here at Third Street Community Church, and I have the honor and the privilege of being with you all and bringing the word of God this morning. Man, what a two weeks it has been. What a two weeks it has been. I don't know if you feel that way, but man, what a two weeks it has been. It's been two weeks since we kicked off our current series in Habakkuk. It's been one week since we were all together at the Absurd Conference. Woo, my goodness. Y'all still feeling that, okay? It's been 48 hours since one of my hip-hop heroes proclaimed that Jesus is king. My goodness. It's been a heck of a two weeks. It's been a wild two weeks. If you haven't been with us, allow me to catch you up to speed. See, we as a church have been diving into this idea of how we hang on to our faith in God that he is just. How do we hang on to our faith in God that he is king and that he is still in control when we are struggling in the midst of a nation divided, in the midst of chaos, murder, unjust rulings all over the place. How do we hang on to faith in a time like this? We could think of no better place to turn than the scriptures. The Lord has specifically been directing our attention to the book of Habakkuk. And in the first two weeks, what we found is, is, is Habakkuk, this prophet that we don't really know a whole lot about, is really fed up and disgusted with what he sees in the streets. This book starts off by, by Habakkuk going directly to God. Thank God he went to the source of, something, of someone that can, that can make something happen rather than just keep complaining on, on social media because they had that back then. Habakkuk cries out to God and says, God... All I see in my streets, all I see in my neighborhood is death. All I see is people getting killed. And then other people being taken to court, but the court system's not doing any justice. All I see is people treating other people poorly. All I see is injustice. God, when are you going to do something about it? Acknowledging full well that many of us could very easily go there ourselves right now. But the God of all things, the creator of the universe is faithful to hear. And God responds. He responds to Habakkuk and says, don't worry, uh, those people that you're talking about, they're going to get what's coming to them. See, there's this big, powerful, evil, treacherous nation called Babylon who's coming to squash all of that. Last week, we talked about the fact that Habakkuk is like, oh, hold on a second. I asked for you to solve the evil in our nation. How are you about to come back and tell me that you're going to answer the evil in our nation with more evil from another nation coming and squashing all of us? Can you tell me how that's just, huh? And God comes back to Habakkuk a second time and says, I need you to write this down because I don't think you're going to get it. Go ahead and write this down so it can be made plain for all who come 
after you. Go ahead and write this down. So that way when it all shakes out, you can look back. Anyone can look back and see that I've been talking about this, that I've been faithful, that this is not a new plan, that actually since, since the creation account, I've had an idea of how this is going to work out. But go ahead, Habakkuk, and write this down. He says the righteous are going to live by their faith in what I'm about to tell you. And God gives Habakkuk this vision of the almighty nation Babylon, as powerful and as treacherous as they are, being crumpled to the ground. Ultimately, this was a fate that came to pass for Babylon in 539 B.C., thousands of years ago. But I believe the vision remains telling, which is why we're still in it. I believe the vision remains telling of a day that is yet to come. I want us to pay careful attention over the next few weeks to the actions and the structures God chooses to list as his grievances against Babylon and and nations of the like. So with no further ado, I don't want to gas it up anymore. I want to go ahead and get into the word. Would you all turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Habakkuk? At this point, we've reached chapter 2. We'll be beginning our time in verse 6. If you have your physical Bibles with you, praise God. Go ahead and flip there. It's in the Old Testament, a little after the middle in your physical book. If you don't have it with you, it's all good. We've got it up here on the screen for you. We're going to go ahead and read verses 6 through 14 together. Here we go. The word says this. But soon their captives will taunt them. Soon their captives will taunt them. They will mock them, saying, What sorrow awaits you thieves? Now you will get what you deserve. See, you've become rich by extortion. But how much longer can this really go on? Suddenly your debtors, they're going to take action. And they will turn on you. And they'll take all you have. While you stand trembling and helpless because you have plundered many nations, now all the survivors will plunder you. You committed murder throughout the countryside and filled the towns with violence. Verse 9, what sorrow awaits you who build big houses with money gained dishonestly? See, you believe your wealth will buy security, putting your family's nest beyond the reach of danger. But by the murders you committed, you have shamed your name and forfeited your lives. The very stones in the walls cry out against you, and the beams in the ceilings echo the complaint. What sorrow awaits you who build cities with money gained through murder and corruption? Has not the Lord of heaven's armies promised that the wealth of nations will turn to ashes? They work so hard, but it will all be in vain. For as sure as the waters fill the sea, the earth will be filled with an awareness of the glory of the Lord. God speaks to Habakkuk about the falling of an empire. The falling of an empire that anyone on historical record will acknowledge was wildly violent. The good news that we receive in this passage is that in the end, nations like Babylon are not going to stand. 
In the end, corrupt organizations like what we're reading about this particular nation are not going to make it. They might get a monopoly now. They might have a lot of physical earthly treasure now. But in the end, they cannot stand. They will not stand. Even as mean and as treacherous as they are, as powerful as they seem, they are ultimately limited in comparison to the limitlessness, the unlimited power of God. God at any moment can take a nation down and he assures Habakkuk that there will be a day where this one comes down. And I want us to pay careful attention to why. Verse 9 tells us that they were after their own wealth, their own security. Oh, they wanted to take care of their family. They wanted to put them beyond danger at the expense of other people. See, they were willing to kill and destroy which is against God's intended design of creation. But they weren't only willing to go against God's intended design for creation, but they were willing to do it for selfish gain. There was no ounce of righteousness to what they were doing. They were putting entire nations into the ground so that theirs could go a little bit higher. They would force themselves into other people's communities and take everything they had. With the people that they thought could serve a purpose to them, they made them slaves. With the rest, they made them dead. And then once people were enslaved, they they changed their names. They decided that you can't even hold on to your own culture. You can't even hold on to like who you've grown up to be. You can't even hold on to the uniqueness of the design that God beautifully blessed you with. You actually have to assimilate to what we tell you. So much so, you're not even your name anymore. You're the name that I tell you you are. And there is no upward mobility for you, by the way. The only upward mobility that exists for you in this nation is if somebody in a position of power perceives that your gifts and your talents can be of use to them. Then you will be elevated, but only insofar as you serve my purpose and kiss my ring. Because the moment that you step outside of what I want for you, your talents will be squashed. And Babylon built an entire dynasty doing things like that. Imagine a nation doing that. Imagine a nation that builds a life for themselves at the expense of others around them. I don't even want to break the tension in the room right now. I don't even want to break it. I actually hate that I have to call it out. I actually hate that I have to call it out. Imagine a nation that promotes the narrative, build your own, 
as long as you get yours, even if it's at the expense of other people. Somebody in here is already on the defensive. Allow me to point to a couple American examples, perhaps the massacre of Native Americans. Oh, come on, pastor. Come on, pastor. That was hundreds of years ago. Can you get, can you get me another example? Like, stop. And you know what? You even benefited from that. You're right. I got privileges to, the day, to this day because of that massacre. How about, how about the enslavement, the American enslavement of African people? How about that as an example of, of build your own at the expense of other people? Oh, come on, pastor. We know slavery is not legal anymore and the civil rights movement and all the good work that's been done by friendly people, that's not still a reality. Okay, how about redlining? How about, how about the destruction of our neighborhoods? How about the fact that somehow it's our property value that funds our schools? Therefore, the rich get richer because as long as you have good property value, as long as you live in a good neighborhood, your school gets more resources, your school gets more funded, which means you get a college education, which means you can probably buy a house. Buying a house, getting an education, two biggest ways to build your wealth. Meanwhile, poor communities stay poor and they stay under-resourced because the property value that supposed to provide funding for the schools actually provides nothing for the schools and we don't care about the schools. Now, 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 catch this. Please catch this caveat, okay? Please, please don't hear what I'm not saying. Please only, in fact, listen to what I just said, okay? Please don't infer anything about anything I believe other than about God from what I just said, okay? Don't. Because what I'm not saying is that we've got to bring America to the ground, right? I'm not trying to re- lead no type of revolution where we overthrow the government. Like, I'm not doing all of that, okay? Unless God tells me to, but I mean, whatever. Like, I'm not doing all of that. And please, just because you might disagree with my disposition, please stop trying to kick me out of my country for, 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 for voicing my concerns. All I'm trying to voice is a concern that if we were born here, perhaps we were born into a narrative that we're actually subconsciously blind to but prone to. Perhaps we're prone to a narrative that says, go ahead, build you up and get yours, even if it's at the unintended consequence expense of another individual around you. We have believed that. We have incorporated that into our dreams. There's this thing called the American dream that really like epitomizes what we're talking about. I'm concerned that we're blind to some unjust practices that are happening around us. And that we've subconsciously learned that it's okay to build our own wealth and security. Well, it's for my family. I don't have to look out for my family I'm, I'm, I'm concerned that we've, we, that we've bought into this narrative of taking care of our own selves at the expense of the community around us. And if we go with that line of thinking, I believe it to be pretty clear that God says we will work in vain and eventually what we build will fall down. Yes, sir. I don't believe anybody in this room to be all that malicious. I really don't. Looking out at a lot of beautiful faces. You guys all look so kind. Thank you. 
Love you guys. But perhaps, perhaps in some way, you've been living your life to contribute to your own wealth. Or you've been living in such a way that contributes to your own security. Your own legacy, we like to say, or empire. When we look at our jobs, our jobs provide wealth. But does your job take you away from the family and the community that God has called you to? That's one example. We look at our education. A lot of us are choosing our majors based on what provides alleged security of employment. But you're more focused on, then your, on your alleged security of employment than you are of obtaining an education that enhances and builds the person that God has designed you to be. Perhaps you've been putting up walls in your life in the name of protecting yourself, in the name of protecting your feelings, while that communicates to those around you to go away. To leave me alone. I have nothing to offer you. You have nothing to offer me. And we do it to protect ourselves. But I don't believe that that's a lifestyle that's clearly outlined as positive or okay in the Bible. Don't worry. This is the pivot. We get to a pivot. This passage is the pivot in the book. Because it says in verse 6, did you catch that? Did you catch that? It says in verse 6, they're captives, meaning those being enslaved, meaning those who, who somebody else's earthly will is being forced upon. It's the captives who will taunt and mock them. Come again? You're about to lose everything, right? Like, you're, like you are being forced into slavery. Like you're being forced into assimilation, into a culture that's not your own. You're being, you're, 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 your relatives are being killed. All this is happening. And yet you adopt the, pa- the posture of taunting and mocking them? It's almost as if it is to say, we know something you don't know. Oh, you out here killing people, huh? Oh, you're going to take my stuff, huh? Oh, you don't like me because I look differently. (laughs) But I know something you don't know. Oh, you're building your riches? Oh, you're building your empire? Oh, it's so big. Oh, you're so powerful. Oh, but I know something you don't know. See, What's promised in what I read, in the God that I serve, I see a God that says, let them build it. Let it go. Let them do what they're going to do because guess what? I'm more powerful. There was once this story where people tried to build a tower as high as they could to be just like God. They wanted to touch God. They wanted to be on the same level as God. And guess how high that tower got? It got really high. They were in the clouds. But guess where it's at now? It's not there because God's like, nope, that easy. 
I know something you don't know. What if when we experience the harshness of the world around us, we were moved rather than, 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 than to fight with our social media accounts or our fists? What if we were moved to a posture that says, yeah, but I know something you don't. I recognize that as evil and I know something that, that you don't know. What if, what if we adopted the posture of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Abednego, who said, who when they were put in the fiery furnace because they wouldn't kiss the ring of the king, because they wouldn't bow down to a statue. What if, what if, what if when, they were, when they were put in the furnace, what if they would have responded like, wait, 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 you're going to put us in a furnace because we won't do what you want us to do? That's not fair. That's not it. But instead adopted the posture of what they actually did and said, I mean, you can put us there. You can put us there. Go crazy. Make it as hot as you want. Because what I know is that I've got a God who will save me. I know that I've got a God who is going to stand in that fiery furnace right next to me. I know that I have a God who sees the heat of this world melting my skin. I know that I have a God who sees the world pushing me down continuously. And I believe that he will sit right there next to me and say, it's pretty hot in here, huh? I wish there was a way out, huh? Get up, come follow me. Watch what we do next. Yes, sir. Glory. Verse 14 says, as sure as the waters fill the sea. Does the water fill the sea? Yep. That's how sure we are that at some point, someday, the world will be put on notice that God's glory will overcome, that God's glory will reign supreme. Not the empire of whatever, but God's kingdom. Babylon, as sure as the waters fill the sea, you will come to a point of knowing that you built it wrong. Someday this empire will fall, and the people who have their treasures in banks and their hopes in insurance will be eternally sorrowful as they watch those who put their treasures in heaven and their hope in God lifted up to glory. Third Street, we know there has already come a day where God walked among humanity. There has already come a day where Jesus left it all out there for us. Where Jesus walked through what we walked through perfectly. And though not unscathed, not unharmed, matter of fact, he got killed. But he got up. He got up with purpose. He got up with conviction to say, come on and follow me as I lead you to new life. Life that cannot be oppressed by anyone. Life that will not lead to sorrow, treachery, or enslavement. He left it all out there so that we may be set free to bondage. My fear is that people are genuinely slaves to this mindset that I have to build my own. That I have to build what I can build. And I don't care who else it affects. I don't care what negative, unintended, well-meaning consequences it may have. I have to build my own. Jesus came to release you from that mindset. 
Jesus came to release you from the enslavement of the American dream. Sorry. And the expectation is that we may be inspired to get to work on building his house, his community, as he lays it out in scripture, his kingdom. In the last days, God will move powerfully to bring his kingdom to all nations, to all creation. Guess what's on that land right now? A whole lot of nations that can't stay there. That's God's land. It's not yours. A whole lot of nations are standing on a whole lot of land right now that eventually God's going to be like, um, y'all got to go because this is where I'm building my house. This is where I'm building my kingdom. So Babylon, your houses, your cities, your empire, it's coming down and God's kingdom is going up. I need somebody to say this with me. My house has got to come down. I don't think you believe it yet. My house has got to come down. And God's house has got to go up. My house has got to come down. And God's house has got to go up. Church, what are you building? What are you building? In whatever phase of life you're in right now, education, pre-education, post-education, post-post-post-education, what are you building right now? Are you building your own funds, storing up your own wealth, I'm not going to work forever, so I got to, got to. Are you more concerned about building your own security and your own wealth at the expense of building what God has called you to build? At the expense of putting your hands, your time, and your resources on what God is trying to do? The ways we are building ourselves the way we're building our own has got to come down. It's got to come down. In the ways of the Lord, the ways of building his kingdom and his glory and his name, that's what's got to go up. If you're trying to prioritize right now because your schedule's in flux, that's what we prioritize. I know... I know enough of you well enough to know that there's a lot floating out there right now to the extent of, okay, but how? How do I build? How do we build? You keep saying we got to build God's house. Okay, cool. That sounds good. I want to build God's house. How do I build God's house? The New Testament tells us that God's house, God's temple, the place where God calls home and where he dwells is within us. The way God's house moves is by the movement of a gathering and the movement of a body of people who have gotten together and be like, you love Jesus? I love Jesus too. What's Jesus saying? What should we do about it? That's the church. It's the way God moves now. The church, the house, must be on the move. And then verse 7 tells us we got to take it back. We have to take back what the enemy has stolen from the Lord. 
God will guide us. The Holy Spirit will do the work. But we must radically transform every space we step into. We must radically transform every office we are employed by. We must radically transform every school that we attend or work for. We must radically transform every patient room that we lay in or stand up in, depending on, you know, where you're at. We must radically transform every space God has led us to. We move into spaces God calls us into. That's the first step of obedience. And the second step of obedience is we stay there and we build. We stay there and we build. We build relationships that inspire hope, not strategy on personal gain. Like, I love you, but I love what you can do for me more. No, that's got to go. We build. We build homes. We build homes that inspire hope, that are not built on the premise of personal security. And even that maybe even go against some of the unjust practices of like how we confirm or deny somebody for a loan. But I'm just thinking off the top here. We, 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 we build. We build communities. We build communities that inspire hope, not condemnation or abandonment. There's a lot of ways this can look. A lot of ways this can look. And please, if you have more questions or you have an idea, please text that church number. Somebody will follow up with you. 961-1253-330. 961-1253. We'll put it up on the screen at some point. Not right now. But this morning, for this morning, I want to focus on one way that I believe us collectively as a church that we are going to do together. Will you watch this video? You can't do anything overnight. It's not going to turn from here to, uh, uh, to Eden overnight. But it's going to take a lot of work, not only on the part of everybody who lives here, but on the part of those trying to help us. We all have to work together, and little by little, it will be the neighborhood that anybody would be proud to live in. Every neighborhood has its own distinct heartbeat. A healthy neighborhood pulse is heard and seen through neighborly interaction, property investments, kids playing, well-kept yards, in an overall feeling of stability. In several Canton neighborhoods, faint heartbeats can be heard and seen where neighbors aren't interacting. Beautiful houses are beyond repair. Disinvestment is prominent. Sidewalks and yards are empty. And the overall feeling is abandonment. Healthy heartbeat neighborhoods have hope. Faint heartbeat neighborhoods just need to find it. Seeking to put God's love into action, Habitat for Humanity East Central Ohio brings people together to build homes, communities, and hope. What started as a grassroots effort by local volunteers has developed into a thriving housing ministry, helping local families radically transform their futures through the provision of safe, 
decent and affordable shelter. In 2015, recognizing an opportunity to assist more families and children to end their cycle of poverty housing, Habitat developed the Renewal Project to help a tipping Northeast Canton neighborhood revive its heartbeat. In 2016, the multi-year $3.5 million holistic revitalization approach officially launched. Habitat incorporated new construction, home preservation, home repairs, demolition, and lot beautification projects. To date, 85 individuals have been served. Nearly 1,800 volunteers have contributed more than 9,500 hours. Neighborhood property values have increased on average from $27,000 to $30,000. Tax delinquency has decreased from 27% to 24%, equating to a sum of more than $210,000 less. Owner occupancy is also up from 64% to 67%. Habitat is instilling hope in Canton neighborhoods, improving quality of life, providing peace of mind for elderly residents, and stabilizing home environments for families. With more people around and with the outreach program that Habitat has, that there will be a lot more done um, just from what's happened at my house. And I know that there's quite a few homes around here that they've worked on and things have been done. And I just can't thank them enough for who they are, what they stand for, and exactly what they do for the community. Habitat is ready to impact more neighborhoods. Three neighborhoods in Southeast Canton have been chosen for the next renewal project, Lathrop, Hartford, and Belden. Between the designated areas, there are more than 500 structures. Owner occupancy is 60%, tax delinquency is 27%, totaling more than $1 million, and average property value is just over $23,000. An exterior rating system identified 32 structures as excellent, 129 as fair, 285 is poor, and 69 requiring demolition. Like the Northeast Renewal neighborhood, these Southeast neighborhoods are tipping. There are housing issues, but there are also strong assets and community-minded residents. By implementing the core strategies of the Renewal Project, change is possible in the Southeast through strategic planning, quality housing programs, strong partnerships, and determined residents. The Renewal Project mobilizes people to partner over an extended period of time to improve quality of life for residents. Through these partnerships, Habitat hopes to provide lower income families more affordable housing options, provide safe, stable housing for children, help elderly homeowners to age in place, educate homeowners, empower and equip residents, reverse the cycle of disinvestment, increase owner occupancy, increase property values, engage more residents, donors, and sponsors, and eliminate blight. Like many neighborhoods in Canton, the Southeast used to have a thriving heartbeat that propelled residents to invest in their homes, neighbors, and community. The Renewal Project looks to revive the heartbeat of neighborhoods. When people work together, good things happen. One house at a time, one family at a time, one neighborhood at a time. The future is bright for families and children living in Canton, Ohio, and there are several ways you can partner with us. Give. Volunteer. Pray. With your help, we can revive the heartbeats in our neighborhoods.
So before I do anything, uh, you may have noticed, uh, not just at the table, but in physical person, <clears throat> sorry, I'm never not going to get moved by that. Like, I'm just not. Like, man, <clears throat> uh, there are a lot of people from Habitat for Humanity here. Uh, so would you help me in thanking them and also welcoming my friend, Courtney Brown? everyone. Um, I, I, I get moved by that as well. Um, and thank you so much, Corey, for the great message that you gave. Uh, yes, we are coming to the southeast side of Canton, so let's give God some praise for that. Yes. This is, this is good ground and good soil, and we know that God's kingdom is here and it's ripe for it. Uh, so we're so excited to partner with you all and other churches um, and organizations to bring back housing uh, and community in this area. So why we are here is we want to get you guys excited for what's to come. Now, of course, we're Northeast Ohio, so our building is kind of slowing down because that S word is coming. Um, but we want you guys to start posturing yourselves about how you're going to be uh, partnering with us in the future. Uh, we will be back here in the spring with signups for build days, uh, volunteer days. Uh, we'll be here with applications for housing. If you know anybody who's in need of simple, decent housing and that is affordable, we'll be here with applications for that. Uh, for people who own homes in the areas that we talked about, but they need some repairs done, they need sidings, a roof, and they need that at an affordable cost, we'll be here with applications about that as well. Also, I want you guys to think about other ways you can partner with Habitat through education. Uh, like uh, Corey was saying, you know, see what God is doing with you. If education is what you're going to do in your career, think of ways you can do that in the community as well. If you're good with money, uh, we have money mentor opportunities to work with our future homeowners. If budgeting really gets you excited, anybody? I don't know. Yeah, okay, I see one back there. If budgeting gets you excited, we have opportunities for you to mentor some of our families as they get ready to purchase their homes. If construction, if you're into construction, anybody into construction? Yeah, we have opportunities to teach people uh, in construction how to keep their homes maintenance. So we really want you guys to consider how you're going to partner with us. And we thank you so much as I look out on this crowd of excited people ready and, and asking God to send them somewhere. Uh, the good news is this, that he can send you right here in southeast Canton. You don't have to go far. We have work to do. And uh, we also brought some uh, at our table here. We bought two studs that will go into a house that will be built in the southeast in 2020 and we're asking all of you guys to send that family a note a prayer your name just to show them that this community supports what they're doing that their investment in the southeast is far beyond their uh, their homes but just the, all the people who are uh, undergirding them in this journey so at the end of church come visit us at the habitat booth uh, and sign your name even the kids you know we want kids to sign their names as well give a scripture a prayer uh, so that we can get ready to bless this area thank you guys So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much, Lord, that you have given us the opportunity to know something that others don't know, that you are God, that you are sovereign, that you are awesome, that you are amazing, that you are righteous, and that you are concerned about us and you're concerned about your people, Lord. 
As we specifically pray for what you're doing in this southeast side, we know that there are people in their homes right now waiting for an answer. They've been praying to you. Send them the answer that they need, Lord, through us, this church, Habitat for Humanity, and the other organizations that are going to be investing in this area, Lord. We thank you for this beautiful ministry that is Third Street Community Church, the leadership here that so desires for your kingdom to be brought into this area and specifically into the southeast side of Canton. We thank you for Habitat for Humanity, a ministry that you have called, knowing that your people need housing that's safe and decent and affordable. And we don't have to rely on wicked tactics. We rely on you and you provide, Lord. And we're so excited for what you're going to do. We honor you today. Thank you for every person in this building who's listening to the call that you have for them. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen.